Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Happy launch day! Oh, thank you very much. Happy launch day to you. Well, I'm enjoying it all vicariously. Ah, well, here we are making a surprise appearance in people's feed. Yeah, it's the day that Ed's book comes out and everybody's very excited about it. And we asked if we could give you a little something. We asked if we could give you a snippet of the audiobook. And they said yes. Read by me. Were you not tempted to get an actor in to do it? I think they were very tempted to get an actor in to do it. (laughs) Who do you fancy? Uh, Michael Sheen, maybe? Maybe somebody a bit older. Ian McKellen in a Gandalf voice. Mm, Interesting. None of them were available. Mm. So they ended up with me over painstaking hours. It's quite a thing learning to read a book out loud into a piece of recording equipment. I came to see you in the studio and you were very you impressive. You were a natural. Yeah, and we should say that we had a blast because you then did an interview with me, sort of reprising our interview. Well, not reprising our interview where we first met, but but sort of an interview which you can get if you buy the audiobook. It's on. It's only on available on the audiobook recording, but it's a, it's a chat between us. But the bit we're giving people is I, I, a bit I feel very strongly about, which is the introduction to the book, which tries to set out why we need big change. And it sort of makes the argument about all the crises that we face, why that means we need big change and what that then looks like. Yeah, this is really good. And, and despite what anybody else might think, I think it's even better with you reading it than who did you say? Barry, did you say Barry Sheen? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a he was a motorcyclist, wasn't I believe he? so. Yeah, yes, yeah. He used he used to jump over lots of cars. Yeah, was he like a British evil Knievel? I think so. Yeah. Anyway, it's not about this. Is this isn't about jump, jumping over double decker buses on motorbikes? That's would would you consider that as a publicity stunt for the book? Definitely. And if people enjoy this, 
we're now at a stage where you can go to wherever you get your audiobooks from and and that's all available. Yeah, you can get it instantaneously or you can obviously buy the book itself. It's on sale now. Here it is, the first extract from Ed's new book, Go Big. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Introduction. Like many modern love stories, it began on the internet. The date was the 17th of March, 2017. Radio presenter Jeff Lloyd, now my late-in-life friend, as his wife Sarah calls him, wrote to someone who used to work for me. I've had an idea kicking around in my head for a few months, and for my own sanity, I thought I'd ask the question, however ludicrous. The email went on, Would Ed be interested in working on a podcast with me? I want to explore the new, big ideas from around the world. I'd love to play the Everman and have Ed explain accessibly what's coming out of the think tanks, academia and policy units. I suspect this is preposterous, but if not, I'd love to talk. The truth is that I was immediately interested. I was a recovering ex-leader. Nobody can quite understand the impact of losing an election unless you've experienced it yourself, although I wouldn't recommend it. One minute you're discussing the phone call you need to have with Barack Obama the day after your election. The next, you're grateful for a call about your PPI. As Jeff brilliantly saw, lots of people felt incredibly down. By March 2017, we had had Trump as well as Brexit, and the Labour Party was facing one or two issues of its own. We were all drawing inward. As he put it in the email, there was a huge potential audience of frustrated progressive realists. And much of the debate on TV and radio was in a short, bite-sized format, favouring a for and against slugfest. What about a podcast format that just pitched ideas to make the world a better place? He also came up with a great name, Reasons to be Cheerful. This book is inspired by the podcast, but goes beyond it. Both draw my profound belief that we need big changes to fix the problems we see in our society. But the aim of the book is to do something more than just gather 20 of the best or most radical ideas for change. It aims to ground these ideas in a broader analysis of the condition of our country and what about it most needs to change. It seeks to paint a wider picture of the kind of society we need. In writing at length about these ideas, the book also offers a more thorough examination of their origins, why they have become a reality in some places, and the challenges we face in making them happen. Why do we need to go big? We need only look at our recent history. In the last decade or so, we've seen the biggest financial crash for 80 years, the biggest political crisis since the Second World War, Brexit and its aftermath, and as I speak, the worst public health crisis for 100 years, resulting in the worst economic crisis for 300 years. All three sets of events demonstrate the need for wide-ranging change. The financial crisis marked a repudiation of a model of economics that bets everything on ever greater faith in markets, not just in finance, as a one-way route to success. That model turned out to be a recipe not just for roaring inequality, but also a massive economic crash, a crash which ordinary people, who had no responsibility for it, paid for with their jobs and the austerity that followed. While some reforms have been made to the banking system, we cannot honestly claim to have acted on the lessons of the crisis. Inequality continues to go unrestrained, 
assumptions about markets and their power still hold sway, and the squeeze on wages and living standards of most people has yet to be addressed. Acting on the deep implications of the financial crisis remains, more than a decade on, unfinished business. Then there is Brexit. Wherever you stand on the issue itself, I think that vote and the discontent it signified tells us something profoundly important. The discontent was partly grounded in people's view about our relationship with the EU, but I'm convinced it goes deeper. I learned this from many conversations in my constituency in Doncaster, which voted leave by one of the largest margins in the country. So many people who voted for Brexit said similar things to me. I'm voting for a better future for my children. Things need to change. Things can't get any worse. This discontent cannot be divorced from the aftermath of the financial crash, austerity and stagnant wages. But nor can it be separated from longer-term trends. The ongoing economic and social shock of deindustrialization, the deeply exploitative world of work that many people face, and fears about prospects for the next generation. Meeting this deep-seated wish for change, for something better, is certainly not going to happen without a significant transformation. Of course, no sooner had the Brexit argument been settled by the result of the 2019 election than we had the awful visitation of coronavirus. We had read about pandemics in history books, but few believed one would happen in our lifetimes, and nobody has been immune. The death toll has been grim, the restrictions on normal life severe, and the long-term health and economic effects will be profound. The pandemic has also done something else. It is as if the tide has gone out on our economy and society, exposing what lay hidden beneath the water, the best and the worst. The best is the British people, who have been stoical, communal, caring, compassionate, pulling together. That best has been extraordinary, and we should not gloss over it. Think of all those who have put themselves in harm's way on behalf of us all. The carers, doctors, nurses, delivery drivers, supermarket workers, teachers, postmen and women. Those who work in the emergency services. While many of us have stayed comparatively safe, they have been in the eye of the storm. Think too of the teams of scientists who developed vaccines in record time and the Nightingale hospitals built almost overnight. It is remarkable what people and government can do when the urgency and will is there. We've also shown a degree of solidarity the like of which I don't think I have seen at any other point in my lifetime. One story of this crisis is the emergence of local mutual aid groups to help the elderly, vulnerable and those in need. A staggering 2,061 groups from Aberdeenshire to St Austell. The evidence also suggests that our perceptions of society and one another have changed markedly in response to the pandemic. Before it, the predominant view was that ours is a country where people simply look after themselves, whereas now many more believe it's one where we look after each other. The best has made us proud. The worst, the inequalities and injustices in our society and economy, which we've allowed to exist under our noses, should make us ashamed. Those very same key workers, the people who really matter the most, who keep us safe, are so often paid the least and protected the worst. It may have become apparent who really matters when it comes to keeping our society going. 
but this is not recognised in the way they are treated. Our society is so riven by inequalities in income and wealth that these differences have also shaped profoundly how we have been affected by the pandemic, from the quality of life under lockdown to matters of life and death. The country has been divided between those who can continue to earn a living from home and those who have no choice but to go out to work, sometimes with no assurance of safety. Meanwhile, our benefit system doesn't provide those in need with enough to subsist, even those who have been sick with COVID. Our public realm, underfunded, outsourced and devalued, was ill-prepared for the pandemic. Each of these three crises is a manifestation of the underlying political, social and economic crisis that has been brewing across the developed world over the last 40 years. Despite the promises, our political and economic system has failed to produce fairness and wealth for all and instead has created deep inequalities, divisions and pain for many. Look ahead at what the future holds and the case for big change is further reinforced. The climate emergency threatens to render our planet uninhabitable for hundreds of millions of people. And we have been fiddling while the world burns. Meanwhile, the tech revolution, in particular automation, which has enormous liberating and democratic potential, will upend many of the assumptions about the jobs we do and threatens to reinforce inequality, not diminish it. The Italian philosopher Antonio Gramsci wrote, The crisis consists precisely in the fact that the old is dying and the new cannot be born. In this interregnum, a great variety of morbid symptoms appear. The reason this has been quoted a lot in the last decade is that it's true. We're in a strange kind of ideological interregnum. We're a long way away from the end of history, the triumph of a particular ideology, which some people believed occurred at the end of the 1980s. But we are still trying to work out what comes next. Logically, the financial crisis should have marked the end of an era, but we have struggled to come to terms with what a new settlement should look like. Deep injustices remain unaddressed, and it is high time we did something about them. If we do not, other pernicious forces will fill the gap. Unless progressive change is not just promised but delivered, the appeal of the strong man, of false simplistic solutions, will grow ever stronger and more dangerous. Donald Trump was indeed a morbid symptom. One apparent answer to these challenges is to defend the status quo more vigorously. Another is to make modest changes to calm things down. But these responses misunderstand the soil in which these toxic political weeds grow. It is the conviction that our economy and society are failing people which helps these forces gain support. My case is that small changes cannot address the discontent and therefore will not deal with the roots of these dangerous movements. Meanwhile, part of the challenge that democratic politics faces is that the implicit message of the last few decades has been that some big problems, like the scale of inequality and injustice, are just too big to surmount, leaving the narrative about solutions to the dangerous politics of the right. Both mainstream left and mainstream right brought into a language and approach to the forces of markets and globalisation, which accepted that some of their results were unfortunate, but inevitable, and therefore beyond political reach. So in saying we need to go big, I'm advocating not just the consideration of ideas that promise significant change, 
but for politics to rediscover its sense of agency. You may like my solutions, I hope so, or you may dislike them, but I am asking that we believe again that politics can rise to the biggest challenges we face. We should never shrink from the injustices of our world and say they are simply too big to conquer. If this sounds ambitious, it's meant to be. In truth, we've ignored a whole set of social and economic problems and their accompanying political disaffection for too long. For years, we've had the wealth, the power, the know-how to create a different and fairer world. The real question has always been whether we have the inclination to do so. There is cause for hope. In the wake of previous upheavals, society was remade. After the Second World War, we saw major social and economic reform worldwide. In the UK, this included the creation of the NHS and the modern welfare state. After the First World War and the 1918 pandemic, the franchise was extended. For the first time, children were required to stay in school until the age of 14, and women were given their first protection against employment discrimination. I cite these examples partly because they were a response not simply to the immediate catastrophe of the wars, but to long-standing injustices and inequalities that hadn't been confronted. William Beveridge's famous report in the midst of the Second World War identified the five giants of want, disease, ignorant, squalor and idleness. These had long been seen as problems, but it was the experience of the war years which supercharged the belief that eradicating them was a priority. It is my view that the injustices and inequalities that have been building since before the events of the last decade require an equivalent remaking. And that is what this book is about. Covid will obviously make improvement harder to achieve as we struggle to deal with both public health challenges and the crises faced by businesses, workers and government. But this must be a moment of reckoning in which we look at our society and learn from the collective experience we have been through. That is what previous generations did. And we owe it to all those who have suffered in this crisis to do so again. If not now, when? The 19th century German politician Otto von Bismarck said, politics is the art of the possible. This has become a cliche used to make the case for compromise and pragmatism. And of course, it is what a lot of everyday politics is about including mine. Pragmatism and compromise can change people's lives for the better. In no sense do I diminish their importance. But I've come to believe that Bismarck was only partially right. In fact, the politics that matters as much, if not more to people's lives in the long run, is something else. It is that which makes the seemingly impossible possible. Think of some of the great changes that mark our political history and have changed lives fundamentally. The universal franchise, trade union rights, the National Health Service, LGBT rights, a national minimum wage. All of them at one point seemed impossible, but became possible. This need to champion big and irreversible change equal to the moment is something in which I have become more convinced in the last six years. This is a different book to the one I would have written in 2015. And it seems to me there are two ways that the impossible can become possible. Two ways to go big. Sometimes making the case for incremental change, the art of the possible, can be part of a vision which leads eventually to a set of more profound changes down the line. 
Margaret Thatcher realised this when she set about transforming the British economy in the early 1980s. She eventually privatised telecoms, water, electricity and gas. But what did she propose in her 1979 manifesto? None of these things. She later recalled that they seemed all but unthinkable at the time. So that manifesto merely proposed to sell off the nationalised aerospace and shipbuilding industries. In her first term, she presented privatisation as the sale of a small number of publicly owned companies, a pragmatic choice to raise revenue for the government. But there is also a different route forward, making the case for more profound change even when it can seem out of reach. The case for a national health service was made in a minority report on the poor law in 1909. At the time, this seemed outlandish and unattainable. Only in 1948, four decades later, would it come to pass. If those seeking big change had lowered their sights to the art of the possible, that change might never have happened. But after struggle and difficulty over decades, eventually they won. If we believe that our economy and society need big change, then both ways of getting there, making the case for incremental changes which point the way to a different vision of the country, and making the case for bigger ideas, are valid. You will find both types of ideas in this book. We can find a different and better way of living together. There are positive, optimistic ideas out there which can change the country. I hope you come away feeling uplifted, inspired, hopeful. That's obviously a big ask. At the very least, I want you to feel that there are solutions. I would also like you to think that you can be part of building them. When I began in politics in the mid-1990s, the parameters of how things might change were pretty clear. Today, everything is much more up for grabs. The next 10 or 20 years could be bleak. Indeed, the world is already pretty scary. But we can bring about profound and positive change. The future is not yet written. It's our job to write it. So let's do it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.